always learn something. We will always see something amazing because you are limitless. There's never a time that we're going to look at you and not see something about you or hear something about you that isn't a miracle the same way the first time that we heard about you. And I ask you that you continue that in our hearts, continue that in our communities. Help us to see you and others. Uh, help us to be one in this community. And we pray for this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Blake. Good morning, Eastgate. Uh, if you are visiting with us here today, my name is Rob, and I am the teaching pastor here at Eastgate. And if you, Hi. Nice to meet you, Blake. Uh, uh, if, uh, if you haven't been here in the past few Sundays and have not been aware of it, we are taking a break from our study in the Gospel of Luke. We'll resume that study in June, on June 20th. But for the next four weeks, in cooperation with several other churches here in our area, um, uh, it, it, with a group called Pastors United of Bay County, we're going to talk about the biblical mandate for unity. And specifically, we're talking about racial unity, all kinds of unity, but racial unity, uh, especially at the forefront of this. This means that we're going to have to consider what the Bible says about God's intent for us as human beings uh, and, and the gospel's initiative to erase all of the normal boundaries that oftentimes exist between human beings to separate us. And we're going to have to square that with the vast racial segregation that we see pretty much every Sunday here in America. Because something obviously is not right with that. And that's something that we've got to look at, we've got to consider, we've got to put before the Lord to see how he's going to lead us and guide us. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm going to be outlining any answers for how to resolve the way that things are. Um, you know, I honestly believe Given the amount of time that's gone by, there's a long road ahead of us in, in how we're going to address this and overcome this. But as believers, as followers of Jesus, the first most, most important step that we're going to take on this journey is to, to grasp the biblical mandate that we have to pursue unity with our fellow human beings, regardless of color or culture or status or any of the other artificial barriers that we tend to put up between us as the human race. No matter what has been instituted in our history, we need to address this. We need to look at it. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next four weeks in a series called Lord, Make Us One. Now, several other churches are, uh, that are part of this initiative, the pastors, uh, United, uh, pastors United of Bay County, uh, they're also going to be working uh, on, uh, on this series. I was part of the team that worked on preparing an outline that we're all basically working from. So we've got churches all around Bay County right now that are working from a common outline of scriptures. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, isn't that kind of cool? I mean, uh, so I want to encourage you to take some time next week as the week unfolds. You'll have some time somewhere in there to listen to what the other pastors taught on this. It's good to be able to get other people's perspectives on this. Uh, uh, that's important. But also, we may hear something from a cultural perspective that we're not familiar with, and that is vitally important. Because if we're going to begin to cross you know, these barriers that have been placed, we're going to have to become familiarized with things that we're not familiar with. And so that's an important aspect of this well. So uh, of this as well. So at the end of the teaching, when we're all done today, I'm going to be putting a slide up there that's got the the various pastors who are going to be broadcasting their, their teachings on that. 
Maybe take a picture of it with your phone and follow those links. I'll also put the links up on Facebook if you're on that or on, uh, on our website. I think we should be able to get that on our website with the links uh, and stuff there. Uh, that way it'll make it easy for you to go and find them and hear what they had to say. But let's just see what God does uh, with all of this. Because uh, to me, it's really exciting. But I could imagine... I mean, you know, because that's what I do. I imagine things. <laughs> but I could imagine that somebody might be thinking, you know, Rob, you know, I just have to hear about this all the time, the subject of race and racism. Why do we have to do this uh, right now? But I think it's very important that we look at something like this because this is an issue that has gripped our society for a long time. It's come to a head most recently. But this is something that's been been happening for a while. And I would say that for a large portion of our society, racism is not just an issue, but is a, is, is, is a part of their everyday life experience. And that's why it's important for us. God calls us to pray that it'll be on earth as it is in heaven. And part of our witness of what it can be like on earth when earth is as it is in heaven has been marred. Part of what we've been called to represent in terms of heaven's values here on earth has been disrupted because the church, as the church, we have not been united as God intended us to be. Because our predecessors in the church, something that we have got to face squarely, our predecessors in the church intentionally segregated us. And we have barely even mentioned it, much less taken up the hard work to undo that. But Rob, you know, okay, I mean, sure, racism was part of our nation's past, but that's not an issue anymore. That was then. This is now. Why should I have to be responsible for things that happened back then? You know what's interesting to me? Nobody ever says that about any other sin. Have you ever noticed that? Nobody ever says, you know, lust is not a problem anymore. Why do we have to talk about that? Greed, nobody's greedy anymore. Why would we talk about that sort of thing? To quote Luther Stanford of City Church, who is also a participant in this, he said, humanity has never solved one sin. To suggest that racism is no longer a problem in our world or even in our community is to contradict biblical truth, deny reality, and ignore the voices of the victims of prejudice. But Rob, <laughs> of course racism is wrong. Uh, but things are different in our country now. This is a post-civil rights country. The laws have changed. Everyone has the same rights and chances. It's just, you know, it's just troublemakers and the media and Marxists that are trying to stir up things and make this a big deal. And interestingly, that is a sentiment that I have never heard from anyone except somebody with my skin color. I have never heard that from anyone except someone who looks like me. And that would be sort of like me standing up here today and saying, you know, I don't get this whole childbirth being difficult propaganda. <laughs> My wife and I had a lot of kids and I never, I didn't even feel one bit of pain. Maybe back in the day there was pain involved or whatever, but we have medicine now. Everything's easy now. I've had a lot of kids and I have never even felt slightly uncomfortable carrying or delivering them. Men, 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 say that to the women in your life sometime. And when you come to, you'll realize you didn't have the personal life experience to properly frame that statement. And when it comes to this issue for people who look like me, 
I think there is much wisdom in James 1.19 to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We need to talk about unity because it's a biblical mandate. It's part of our witness. You know, when the church first began in the book of Acts, beautiful thing. You know, today is the first day of Pentecost. And, and, and when we look at what happened uh, to the church in, in the book of Acts and, and how it spread and, and grew. And remember when this, the church spread to the Gentiles up in Antioch. Uh, and it caught everyone's attention up there because they had crossed social, cultural, ethnic, and religious lines to unify as one community under Christ. And it was so confusing to the Roman society of Antioch. They didn't know what to do. They didn't even know what to call it. So they just called them Christians because it, it, it didn't fit with any other de- formerly defined categories that they had. It was so unusual, so arresting to them. It's part of our witness as Christians that we are united in Christ. And that is what we must regain. So today we're going to Go all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) I'm convinced if we want to understand something, we've got to look at where it started. I'm a history buff. And part of the reason that I'm a history buff is because to try to make sense of the world that I'm presently in, a lot of times it helps if I trace the stories back and figure out where these things started. And I would say that over the last year, I've done a lot of studying of history, specifically the history of our nation. And I'm going to tell you there's a lot that that we have to answer for. There's a lot that we as Americans have been willingly sweeping under the rug. I'm going to tell you that people complain about the educational system of today. It was not so hot when I was growing up because there are huge gaps in my knowledge of American history that should not be there. But I'm doing what I can. I'm, I'm looking at the history. I'm trying to understand it. But today... We're going to go even farther back. We're, we're going to go back to the beginning, to Genesis this morning. And if you've got a Bible and if you'd like to follow along, go to Genesis chapter 1, please. Genesis, of course, is the book of beginnings. It's a book that describes the origins of the created order. And, you know, as a book, it's beautiful and it's poetic and it's mysterious, you know, as all of the books of the Bible are. And I realize that, uh, that there's going to be a lot of different uh, ways that people interpret Genesis and the creation account. And I'm certainly not going to try to bog down, trying to parse out all the various ways in which people read this. For me, and for the sake of argument here this morning, for me, the most important part is found in the first words of the book of Genesis in chapter 1. In the beginning, God created And that's the starting point that we all have to agree on. If we can't agree there, then there's not going to be much agreement anywhere after that. But if we can all agree there, yes, this is the starting point. How people parse out the rest of that, that's an argument that's probably been going on since those words were first penned. But but the focal point is this. In the beginning, God created. And that means to us, that means that we are not autonomous. That, that we have a creator and, and that this creator intentionally designed the world and humanity with a specific purpose in mind. And that purpose for humanity gets described for us in Genesis chapter one. And so if you're there in Genesis chapter one, let's look at what it says in verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, 
the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Okay, so three times in this poem, God's intent is declared to create human beings in his own image. And this is foundational as to why any sort of discrimination or segregation or racism is out of sync with God's original order, because to quote Luther Stanford again, every man or woman, born or pre-born, urban or rural, road scholar or barely literate, first string or bench warmer, high IQ or low IQ, the hot list or the not list, bears the image of God. Any sort of discrimination based on race or gender or anything else along those lines is in direct contradiction with God's original order to the creation that he made. All of humanity is made to bear God's image. Now, we also know this is the very thing that got blighted by sin. It's this, our original vocation, that that God seeks to restore through our salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ. We talked last week about sin's effect uh when we read about the the man that was possessed by a demon that jesus delivered in our text in luke how sin and evil had dehumanized him our salvation restores our sense of humanity remember at the end of the story the man is clothed in his right mind sitting at jesus's feet our salvation restores that sense of humanity that image of god quality to our lives Now, when we think about the image of God, and it's a phrase that we're all familiar with, nobody I'm sure here has never heard that phrase before. Obviously, we've heard that. We we, we say it. It's easy to say the image of God, but it gets a little confusing because exactly what does that mean? I mean, uh, does that mean that we look like God? Does that mean that, you know, when, when you see us, you're seeing just a tiny version of God who's actually a very large humanoid somewhere in the ether or something? So here's the thing. In the first part of the book of Genesis, we didn't read all of this, but we're walked through all the various things that God creates. He creates the land and the seas and the trees and the plants and the animals and the birds and the fish. He creates the cosmos and invents time. And at the end of all of those things, he's saying it's good. This is good. This is good. He's setting up his order and he's defining for us what is good. It's another way of demonstrating that he is the ruler of creation. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who establishes this is good. This may not be good over here. The pinnacle of that creation is humanity, which it says he creates in his image by making humanity representatives of his rule. Because it even says there in verse 28, they'll fill the earth and govern it, reigning over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals that are scurrying and all of that. Now in the ancient world, If a king were to take over a territory somewhere, one of the first things that he would do would be to erect a a statue of himself, an image of himself, so that the people who lived in that territory would know from that point on, that's who's in control now. You'd be going along and thinking, yeah, this is great. I'm calling my own life shots. And then you look up, oh, there's a statue of Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. He calls the shots in this territory, not me anymore. This was humanity's role. 
We were intended to be an image of God's rule over creation. Reminders to all of creation who's in charge. Representatives of God's merciful reign. Interestingly, in Exodus, when God is reintroducing himself to humanity and he, he provides the law to Moses, the famous Ten Commandments. The first commandment we all know is to, to command complete and total allegiance to God alone. One creator God. Have no other gods before me. But the second commandment, anybody know what the second commandment is? Oh, come on, Eastgate. The second commandment is, that's okay, I, you know, but the second commandment is make no image, to make no image of God. And, you know, is that like a repeat of the first thing? You already said, don't have any other gods. What's this about? Why not make an image of God? Because you already made an image. It was humanity. It was us. And if we're the ones restored to this purpose through Jesus, then part of the way that we fulfill our calling to represent God's rule in this world, to represent what's good, is to reject as sin any denigration or segregation of ourselves from other human beings, our fellow image bearers of God. All of humanity was made to bear God's image. Unity is a biblical mandate. We were intended to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational family representing God's rule into this created order, into this world. And we think about what it means then for humanity to be created in God's image. Bearing God's image confers us with dignity. And that means that every human being, every culture, every race, no matter their external circumstances, has inherent worth and value. Now, I know that we live in the, a Western world, a modern Western world that you know, claims enlightenment, uh, where we give lip service to the ideals of inherent human value. But practically speaking, people are still subject to the ascribed worth and status that society will attribute to them. Age and race and gender and family backgrounds. I mean, those are things that we have no control over for the most part. Uh, but yet they're often the basis for how society deems our value or determines our worth or treats us. And, and it's these kinds of assessments that become the base for our stereotypes. They are the means of categorization that we use to try to dismiss or diminish the value of someone else. Ah, she's just a girl. Oh, he's trailer trash. Okay, boomer. Uh, you whining millennial. You 1% elitist. You, you entitled welfare bum. All of these ways in which we ascribe value and worth based on whatever camp that we happen to be in. Value and worth based on who we are and what we were born into and what we set out to achieve. And none of these are God's words. None of them are God's description. God's words are God's image. That's what he used to describe the human race. In the creation account, repeats it three times, in the image of God, they were created created with intrinsic dignity, imbued with value and worth by virtue of the fact of the image we were created in. Not achieved by our own efforts or assessed by others, but inherent 
because of the value of who it is that created us in his own image. That's you, that's me, and that is everyone that you have ever or will ever meet in life. All people created in the image of God. We have inherent value, but there's something else as well that goes along with that. Because bearing God's image entrusts us with capacity and responsibility. In the next uh, chapter in Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God planted a garden uh, in Eden in the east, and there he placed a man, the, the man that he had made. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. So to be created in the image of God means that we have the capacity and the responsibility to watch over the created order. That means we're called to manage and use and protect all of creation as God would do, according to his values, according to his purposes and intent. Image bearers tend to God's creation. You know, that's one of those things that's kind of always stumped me. Sometimes it feels like the church is in opposition to environmentalist movements or things like that when re- reality is we, we're supposed to be the, the first environmentalists. We were the first ones called to, to tend to this creation that God gave us. You know, when, when God established the temple system of worship in the Old Testament, everything about it was, was intended to represent Eden. Represent the garden there. All of the decorations of the temple, the palms and the stars and all of the various things that were, were built into that were meant to display, put on display God's original intent of the Garden of Eden. And the role of the priests was actually mimicking the role of the first humans, going in and out before the presence of God and then representing his will and his mercy to the world. That's what it was. Tim Mackey describes it as sort of an ongoing performance art meant to convey God's original intent for creation and for humanity. That was the role of the priest to represent what humans were supposed to be. So interestingly, in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter is encouraging the church, telling us that in Christ you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. So that wasn't meant to try to conjure up images of some sort of, you know, systematic religious practice or something. It was meant to convey what the priests were all about. In fact, even unfolds that a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The idea of being priests is more than just having some sort of status. It carries with us with it. The idea of what original humans were supposed to be able to do going in and out of the presence of God and representing his goodness to the created order as image bearers of God. We've been given reason and intellect and ingenuity and creativity for the purpose of caring for creation, chief of which is humanity to continue bringing God's good order to this world and his justice and his, his declaration of what is good and what's right. It also means that we've been instilled with the capacity to know what's just and what isn't. You know, you think about that. We as humans have this intrinsic moral compass. It's just built in us. Everyone has a conscience. Well, you know, there are some who have you know, inabilities and, and issues, you know, that, that have uh, disturbed the development of their, their sense of this in life. But for the most part, when we look at the average, there's a conscience that, that comes with our lives. There's no other part of creation 
that makes declarations of right or wrong, good and evil. Only human beings do this. I mean, you know, as best we can tell, maybe dolphins are out there saying something like that's a bad idea or whatever, but, but, but in terms of being able to make these declarations into the world, human beings are the only ones who are able to do it. We have that capacity built into us. Our conscience is a reflection of God's image. That conscience that's there saying, do right, don't do wrong. Oftentimes that can get trained in wrong ways, but it's still there. An indicator that we were formed for this purpose, to be a demonstration and a, a, a demonstration of God's goodness into this world. That ability to even recognize good and bad, justice and injustice, that comes with a responsibility to convey God's good into the world, like we were originally designed to do. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis makes that point. I, I can only loosely quote it. Uh, but the idea that, you know, we live in this world where there is evil and seeming meaninglessness, and yet it's filled with people who recognize that there is evil and meaninglessness. What do we make of that? There's something in that that's profound. It comes with a responsibility to tend to these things, to tend to creation, chief of which are human beings. It's like the prophet Micah said in Micah 6, 8, Oh, people, the Lord's told you what's good. This is what he requires of you to do what's right, literally to what's just, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. As followers of Jesus who've been restored as image bearers of God, we have this priestly responsibility to declare and humbly seek to bring God's justice and mercy into this world, to be those representatives of his good rule of his original intent for creation. This is a biblical mandate. A unified human race is God's good intent. And it begins with realizing who we are. Creatures formed for the purpose of representing God's good into the world. What kind of a difference does it make to you? What kind of a difference does it make to you personally? To know that you were created with a purpose. That you have intrinsic value and worth. Regardless of what anyone else may say. Regardless of, of what the voices in the static may say. You have intrinsic value and worth. You have a purpose that you were created for. You were imbued with the capacity to do good in this broken world. And that when God looks at you... He calls you his own. He calls you his own. When you see yourself, can you hear echoes of Eden, of what God intended all along? What kind of a difference does it make when you know that others, that all other human beings were created with that same purpose and have that same capacity and value and worth? What does it mean when we recognize the image of God in all of the people around us, starting in the mirror and looking outward from there? So recently there was this Dutch bike manufacturer uh, in the news, Van Moof. Uh, 
you know, the demand for bicycles has risen exponentially during the pandemic. I don't know if you knew that. I was trying to buy a bicycle during the middle of the pandemic. It took months just to get the thing delivered to me because, you know, the, the demand is outrageous right now. Uh, and so this guy made these you know, special bikes, was shipping them all over the world, uh, just everywhere. And the demand was really high. But he found that a large amount of them were being damaged in the shipping process, so much so that it was actually becoming problematic. It was at a point where they had to, they had to consider either rethinking their business model or, or come up with some sort of solution to deal with the huge amount of, of damaged deliveries that his bikes were, uh, were getting. So they wrote on their blog, our co-founder, Thais Carliers, had a simple idea. Our boxes are about the same size as a really big, expensive, flat-screen television. So... We put an image of one on every box. We assumed the handlers would care a little more about that. And we were right. According to them, it reduced the rate of damaged bikes by 80% based on what they saw there. Because when we value what's inside, we treat whatever it is with greater care. When we remember the image of God, we recognize the value and dignity of every human being created in God's image. This has always been God's intent for humanity. One human family, dazzling in colorful display, varied and diverse in representing the infinite, creative, and excellent reign of God into this world. Unity is a biblical mandate. So let's commit our hearts to taking this up, to taking these steps forward towards what it is God made us for and the initiative that the gospel came to reignite in our lives of unifying the human race under the banner of the love of Jesus Christ. Right on? All right, very cool. Before we move to the music side, I'm sorry, normally that's when you guys would come up here. I got something I want to do. I'm so sorry. I should have mentioned this to you before. I'm Rob, by the way. <laughs> you just want to just sit by Blake for a while? That makes sense. I would think that that would be the first time you've ever heard that. Uh, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but uh, it came to my attention that uh, today is... Uh, Julie Jendam's last day with us here before she moves, right? And you know, Julie's uh, been an awesome blessing to this community. She's one of the very first people who was part of Eastgate way back a thousand years ago. No, I shouldn't say that. Back in 10, five, a couple years ago uh, in, in uh, the Promenade Mall back when we first started. And uh, so we just want to pray for her. Julie, would you mind coming up here? Do you mind? I, again, we put you on the spot, but... We just, uh, we appreciate you so much. And you know, Julie's been uh, one of the teachers here at Eastgate and we appreciate everything that she's been able to bring and the insights that she's provided for us. And, um, you know, we know God's got really good things in store for you. And, and uh, uh, she and her husband, Tron, are going to be moving to Tallahassee. So they're not that far away. So she's agreed that she'll come back and teach for us every once Woo! in a while. And uh, so that's cool. I just said it publicly, so we're going to hold you to that now. 
but uh, let's just pray for, for she and Trond in this, this move that's, that's happening and uh, just believe for God's blessing on them. So, Father, we pray for Julie and for Trond. And, uh, Lord, we just ask you to, to go before them and uh, to, to, to set the pace that they can follow, a pace of, of your grace and your mercy. And we pray, Father, that uh, whatever you have in store for them, uh, However, they, they move forward in, in either establishing a new fellowship or in uh, joining to a fellowship. I pray, Father, that they are a blessing to the people there like they've been a blessing here to us. We pray your protection on them and your mercy on them. And uh, we, we trust you, Lord, to continue using them for your glory, for your kingdom. And we just want to express to you, Father, how grateful, how thankful we are that uh, we've joined our stories together like this for these many years. And we look forward to a time, Father, when there will be no separation anymore, when all of us together in your glorious light celebrate and love one another uh, in the restored world that you provide for us. But in this time, we pray you be with them, watch over them, and bless them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You bet. Thank you, sis. God bless. Now, will you guys stand up with us, please? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for this community that you've brought together and the love that's represented here. And I pray, Father, that this expands. Not so much that we get some big church. That's, I mean, that's up to you, Lord. But, but that it expands in our appreciation and our love for your family, for the church, the holy church of God. And that we will do our part. This has got to be a work of your spirit, Father. But we will do our part in submitting and yielding to your leading. That we will participate in the breaking down of barriers. In the destroying of walls. That we as your church can lead the way back to what you intended all along. This common family of grace. So I pray that for us, Father. I pray for every heart here that you stir in us a joyful anticipation for what it is you're about to do. And we pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We thank you for that love, Lord. Thank you for the love you've provided for us. Help our hearts to respond to you and to the move of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let's uh, close today by praying this prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of our version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's, a good, it's a good prayer for us to close with. Uh, when we're done and we dismiss, I'm going to put up on the screen uh, all the, the various pastors that are broadcasting their... their uh, teachings so maybe snap a photo with your phone we will put up the links on facebook and on our website as well too but let's pray this together father in heaven reveal who you are set the world right do your will here like it's done in heaven provide for our daily needs keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others keep us safe from ourselves and the devil we confess you're in charge you're our provider Our lives are in your hands. Yes and amen. Go in peace, you children of God. The men's group will be down here.